Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. You don't believe this what's the point? This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another outstanding edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, and with me all the way in the land of the Red Dragon is the gold standard in ghost hunting, the founder of Parascience, Mr. Stephen Parsons. And from here on in, the show goes downhill. Absolutely, because joining us right now is the rock star parapsychologist himself, my former co-host of Ghost Chronicles International, Mr. Cal No, no, no. Dr. Cal Cooper. That's better. Excuse me. (laughs) Just shoot. Hello. Hello. I won't shoot you. You seem more enthused to speak about me than about Steve. What what is it about Steve that's depressing you? Five or six years of working with him. Fair Stop enough. it, Cal. You're not his counsellor. <laughs> no. And why is it you feel depressed and anxious? Because he's locked in a confined space. <laughs> well, speaking about locked in confined spaces, how was your uh, big bathtub adventure? My big bathtub adventures are, are going very well. Probably got about, I think we've got about four more trials to go. And uh, then we're, we're doing an analysis after that. So it, it's it's been months and months. I think we actually started, um, I think it was late last year. So that, um, for everyone that's listening, uh, I'm not actually just sitting in a large bathtub at home. He is. No, I'm not. And <laughs> it's only times when Steve wants to do my back. It, we're working with flotation tanks at the moment. So uh, we want to see if they have a better ability than the Gansfeld, where people are lay in a reclining chair in a room with headphones on and eye shields. Um, is it better than the Gansfeld at producing psychic imagery? So that's what we've been doing. It's the Gansfeld again, isn't it? Parapsychologists and the bloody Gansfeld. It's all no, you ever think about. No, I've, I've, um, I've bobbing round my... in a he's bobbing round in a jacuzzi wearing ping pong balls with little, probably little else. But it's what is it? Yeah. Listen, you hidden in no, the hills, whoa, having whoa, whoa. nothing to do. Whoa, whoa, you're just whoa, whoa. bored because you're not in a department not... with all these psychic, exciting things. No, no, no. Let me yeah, have yeah, one. There you go. Yeah, there you go. No, 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 no. Shut up a minute. You want to be parapsychologist? This is what's well, happening. <laughs> no, no, you're not listening. Parapsychologists <laughs> have never got beyond the Gansfeld. Serious question. What What is this need within parapsychology? Serious question. To continually test the Gansfeld test, they have they've done it. They've meta tested it. They've meta analysed yeah. it. They've done it yeah. again. They've done it now underwater. They've done it in psychomantia. What is it with the Gansfeld? Do you not the, believe your own results sometimes? I was involved in the Gansfeld once for remote viewing studies, and we did five different replications each time exactly. we improved the methods. You've done and five, somebody else has done another ten, somebody... Yeah. Every department, it, every parapsychologist... Serious. If you shut up a minute, if you shut up a minute and let me explain <laughs> yeah. the position, you fool, you absolute fool. 
Um, we did five just to show how good it was and the results that were being produced. All of them were successful with good effect sizes. What I'm doing here is something completely different as far as people assume that this has been done many times over because you've got all kinds of different things. There's a, a Dirt Bogard film that um, presents an idea that the tanks could actually produce psi imagery. Um, there was the film Altered States, and then in TV series such as Fringe and Sea of Souls, you got people there working with fringe science and parapsychology using the tanks. It hasn't properly actually been done in parapsychology, and I only wanted to look at it because we laughed at it all the time at SPR conferences where people said, ha, 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 you should get a tank. Oh, what a good idea. And people thought, well, it's been done. We should leave it alone. It hasn't been done. Oh. I, searched the, I searched the literature extensively. The person who pioneered the tanks in the 1950s was a guy called John Lilly, Dr. John Lilly, who was a neuropsychiatrist and later on started experimenting with psychedelics and altered states as well. But in his initial research, all he wanted to look at was what is the impact, uh, impact of sensory deprivation. So like um, Ron right now, confined in this space, is in some little hey, cupboard. Hey, don't what, what, <laughs> what, what would happen if Ron spent an extended period of time in there? So Lilly was... Uh, human. <laughs> possibly possibly yeah um, I was on your side up till that point <laughs> so he was looking at that and they also started it was within the National Institute for Mental Health I think that was the term I could, I could be corrected on that um, but they were initially looking at darkened rooms and then it went through to being in an enclosed space with water and this had nothing to do with floating. It was people being in an enclosed space where you could put them under the water and you gave them breathing apparatus as well. And so by the late 1950s, Lily thought, well, what about if we replicate uh, what you have with the Dead Sea, essentially, and create this um, state of floating like an out-of-body experience as, as well? So you could kind of speed up this out-of-body state or like when you're drifting off to sleep. So they put Epsom salt in the water um, about 53% or so goes in, and that allows you to float. It doesn't matter what size or shape or weight you are, you will not sink. There were some kind of assumptions at the beginning that this might happen, so they developed different headgear and masks so that you couldn't tilt your head left or right and potentially uh, get your head under the water if you fell asleep, because you do feel very sleepy in there. Also, the water is regulated to body temperature, so as you're in there naked, um, you don't feel hot and you don't feel cold either. You just feel absolutely perfect, weightless. You can't see anything because the lid's shut, and you're in there for an hour. Um, so Lily did this, and he thought this is really great. It was telling him a lot about altered states and how it helped, especially with people that had depression and anxiety. Um, and it wasn't until 1969 he was a guest dinner speaker at the Parapsychological Association conference in New York City, and, you know, back then it was great because when you look at the conference proceedings then, they published full papers and anything anyone said was transcribed and documented. That doesn't happen now with the PA conferences, sadly. It's just the abstracts of papers. So we're losing a lot of information. So I was so grateful that back then they kept full records like this, um, especially the SPR did this as well. And it outlines all of his dinner speech and he just said, um, you know, this is a great process. I've had loads of hallucinations in the tanks. They must be coming from somewhere. And we can test this. You could use two tanks. You could set up some sort of protocol. And then afterwards, an independent judge could look at how well do the hallucinations match a target. 
And no one bothered to do it at all, except for going forward to 1980, again, I've run into D. Scott Rogo, where he conducted a pilot study that was published in Research Letter, um, which came along with the European Journal of Parapsychology. And that was it. Nothing else was done. So it's got nothing really to do with the Gansfeld. This is a kind of unique take where we want to see what's going on. <laughs> what's going on? And how different is it to the Gansfeld? What place does it have? What use does it have? I'll kill you. <laughs> Not, well, I would, I would argue and, and come you back would, to you with, with yep. nobody, is, nobody is contesting the results of the Gansfeld. Never said they were. So what, what is it within parapsychology that we have to have these constant replications or variations on, on a theme? Why can't parapsychology accept the results as a given, as they do within physics, and then develop new experiments pushing the boundaries further, instead of continually staying in, in the safe ground of the Gansfeld and its associated experiments? I mean, do you not believe your own results within parapsychology? Well, yeah, I do. I, I don't agree with the statement that you just made, because Neither if you look I. up and... No, if you look up and down the, the UK, the, uh, the universities that are dealing with parapsychology, and there's a dozen with taught modules in it, and then even more that are conducting research, no one's touching the Gansfeld. At the moment, we're not using it at all. I'm just looking at the, the side branch of what, what do the flotation tanks have to offer, if anything. What, exactly. what, Rogo did, what Rogo did found nothing, because he said the tanks give people too much anxiety if they've never done it before. So I've gone through a long series of it and realized that my hallucinations inside the tank have increased. But what we want to know at the end is how much, um, what I see, how much does that relate to the target? So that's one side branch, and I'm doing it to try and disseminate the research further than parapsychology into other mainstream journals of science. But what you're asking is, why don't they take this further? Well, they have. All we're dealing with at the moment inside the department is the neuroscience side to parapsychology. So if people claim they've got these abilities or we've got a replicable effect in the lab, then what's going on in the brain when people do these experiments and they're successful? So you're talking tosh, Steve. Absolute tosh. Absolute not tosh, because in <laughs> physics, they take concepts oh, here goes. and they test the idea and they accept the results of those ideas. They don't go back and continually retesting an idea that they consider to have been demonstrated. They, who's they going use back? That. Pardon? Who's, who's going back? How many? How many? Well, yeah, okay. But I'm talking generally in parapsychology. How many times has the oh, Gansfeld yeah. been done and its variants? It's, it almost oh, appears in... Exactly. Yeah. So well, the, you know, I, the, question, the question isn't relating to what you're doing or what's being done, you know, at a handful of small university departments who, are, who have thrown a parapsychology module into their general psychology program. It's actually, why can't parapsychology step forward instead of continually not believing itself and the results that are produced? We've got, we're not really making much progress in the areas of PK. And yet, you know, these are trotted out endlessly. They, they do these. I mean, since, since Ryan, we've had ex uh, reasonably good results in the areas of PK, micro-PK especially. Mm -hmm. And yet, parapsychology continually revisits that instead of progressing forwards into looking at macro-PK and the grosser effects that are perhaps seen in certain poltergeist-type cases. Mm -hmm. We want to see some, you know, so, some results, some tangible results that, that truly challenge the accepted norm. 
and puts these bloody sceptics back in the box. Hang on, I'm writing down some of your tosh. Hang on. <laughs> I'll send you a transcript at the end of the show. This hang on, hang on. Tosh. I, I, hang you know, I mean, Cal has, has moved ahead, of course, with, with oh, his yeah, work with a- Alex Tennis. You know, he expanded upon no, his... You, you can't, his, you can't, you can't expand, leave it. He expanded no, upon not his... We're we'll waiting for it naturally to happen. Okay, <laughs> so... Oh, go on, Ron. Go on. No, that's fine, that's fine. Go ahead, carry on. You were leading the witness there, Ron. <laughs> so you've said you've got other you mentioned physics as your kind of starting point and then said why can't we move on why is it that so many different departments have got to replicate the effect yeah. go if we want to use ryan again as the argument go back to his book extrasensory perception 1934 when it came out he published that as a, a kind of a, a cooking recipe everyone try it for yourself if you don't believe me try it for yourself and because of the claims that were being made it was important that a number of people inside and outside of parapsychology mm-hmm. tried the process for themselves Absolutely. to demonstrate the effects that was going on this practice is not done so much by areas outside of parapsychology uh, for a number of reasons one if they don't do it i think it's bad form on their part because you don't want to accept something's going on on the basis of one study but two yeah. when you look to other science journals as well a lot of them have the policy of only publishing a study where it found something mm-hmm. as well so so I many disagree, studies i don't with disagree with you but yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what, Ryan, what, Ryan, what Ryan proposed was, as you say, a, a this is what we found, go try it for yourself. And a number of departments and, and parapsychology, uh, parapsychologists did, and they found supporting results. But they don't progress it forwards. Mm-hmm. It's well, almost as if, in areas specifically psychology, that... They don't trust the results. I mean, I've, I've said before, you know, if, if a perfect double or triple blind experiment was produced by parapsychology and agreed beforehand by all, the, all of the participants that, yes, this is the perfect experiment. Mm-hmm. So it, it, let's, let's just take, for example, testing of a medium. They, they devise this perfect experiment. Then the medium defeats the experiment. A parapsychologist is not going to turn around and say, wow, that medium just did something amazing. What the parapsychologist is more likely to do is to say, the experiment's flawed. Right. No, and this they'll, try to, they'll probably use the same medium in the same conditions or maybe stringent conditions. But they see. don't. But they just don't. They just keep going back over old ground, revisiting old experiments that... In in ordinary right. areas, it, it, in ordinary areas twist, of science, it's twist. You know, it, it's, it's you can twist it in any way you like. But what what they're you know, doing Steve, in, I, in any know, ordinary in Steve, any ordinary area of science, bitch, your biggest bitch about ghost hunting and, and, and paranormal <laughs> investigation is that people don't duplicate experiments and they don't uh, publish yes, their findings exactly. over and over again. That's exactly. your biggest bitch. And now someone's no. actually doing it. You're no, just, I'm bitching well. that they that they that they're overdoing it. You could you you've got to find a way. F- the idea I could argue is, that you're overdoing hauntings. I've never seen you do anything different that hasn't been done for hundreds <laughs> you know of years. You're doing the same bloody that. thing over and over again. Good answer, except that we're not, are we? But good good comeback because we haven't got any results. I mean, that's the that's the essential difference. We well, don't. Have you learned have, from that? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, we've, learnt, we've learnt a great deal from that. But what one thing that ghost and haunting research has failed to do yet 
is to answer those very basic questions. I mean, we can't yet even define a ghost. I know parapsychology had tried and spectacularly failed, and so is the Oxford English Dictionary, and that would also apply to 99.9% of ghost hunters. You, 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 you know, in that area, I would say that we have failed. We're failing now because it's a, it's a chaotic, you know, you're, you're, you're not only dealing with a chaotic environment, you're also dealing with a chaotic approach. But with parapsychology, you've had some very positive, very uh, challenging results that should lead, that should, you know, indicate a way forward. And that's where, that's where the cutting edge of parapsychology research should be sitting or at least looking. Mm-hmm. Yes, study consciousness, but also examine how it relates to human experience in, in the real world, not the you know the tight confines of a laboratory or wherever else Ron is tonight. Yeah. Well, I told you that we have gone forward because no one's conducting Gansfeld at the moment, as far as I'm aware, and we haven't been for a long time. I've just yeah, told just you that. Starting, you know, just rehashing it. It doesn't matter how long the pause is; it's still a reworking. Well, yeah, I mean, rehashing. I've just told you no this one's is, doing this it. Is like, what what like we're doing program, right now. I saw, I saw a program what? last night called Pop Music Back to the 80s. And this oh, is yeah. like parapsychology back to the 80s. Oh, whatever. Hey, I, I have no have idea what you're talking about. about. I've just told you. Yeah. Let me start this again. I've just told you that no one's doing it. So how can you say it's being rehashed? It was rehashed as many times as it was. So other people could challenge it, see what was going on. Then they could bring all of those studies together. Meta-analyses could be done to see what's the overall effect. And it was just to say to mainstream science that even now says nothing's going on, something is going on. And since then, we have moved forward because no one's bothering with the Gansfeld. The one at Edinburgh is certainly a dusty room that no one's touched in ages. <laughs> we've, we've got two labs at Northampton um, that um, we haven't used for the purpose of Gansfeld since, I think, 2015. That was the last remote viewing study that we did. Um, they're used for other in-house projects that are even expanding beyond to other areas of psychology and not just what we're doing. The only stuff that we're doing now to take this forward is combining parapsychology with neuroscience with the work being done at Stansted Hall, and that's directly testing brainwave activity as people are having experiments because not enough has been done to say, okay, we've got the data down, we've got the statistics saying something's going on, so given that the fact that the numbers are saying something is going on beyond what chance expects, what's going on in the brain, if anything? We've well, why just look in the brain? Let why it not go, look out, let it why go. Not, why not One thing at a time. One does, thing at a time. Why does yeah, it have I, to I be would, inside the brain? I would love to find, find out actually some more information about this experiment, Steve, if I could actually say something. <laughs> yeah, you're lucky if you get a word in, Ron. I know, I know. He just—he's <laughs> been browbeating you for the last eighteen minutes. It's because uh, he's hidden away and he misses me. He doesn't see me that often, so he's just been itching to like just let go. I, I'm intrigued. It's like a dog that's been told it's know, time for walkers. But I'm actually intrigued about the experiment itself and and the conditions. Uh, you mentioned the tank. You, can you give us a, a better description of the of the tank? And you you talked about how the water temperature uh, is the same as body temperature, and you, you don't feel heat or cold. But I, I assume you're not totally submerged, are you? Yes, I can tell you more, Ronald. I shall do that right now. Thank you. You're in a room. Yes, you're very welcome. You're in a room, <laughs> and the the rooms are typically, it's, it's certainly for the tank centres I've worked with, have been built around the tanks because they're so large. 
Uh, they're not something that you can take into the room and construct, though there have been smaller versions. Um, one of the many reasons we haven't got hold of the tanks, or many departments haven't even bothered, is because of the sheer cost of them. You're looking at at least £15,000 for some of the larger ones that have these massive filtration units. Um, so there's a safety light in there. If you picture it, it's this massive sort of pod-looking thing, and you open this lid on two hydraulic arms, and inside you have a foot and a half deep worth of water, and there's a safety light so you can see what you're doing. You shower before you go in and shower your hair. Just make sure that you've been showered down because it might be the case that several people have used this water throughout the day. Yeah, but it's, yeah. const it's constantly filtered. It's constantly clean. There's a massive, and I mean massive, filtration unit behind it that's constantly every hour filtering the water through and then adding more salt into the mix as well. And you get in, and there's also a panic button on your right-hand side just in case during at any point the hallucinations or any experiences you have are uncomfortable. And they have a lot of people that have back pain, arthritis, MS, that are going into these tanks as well. So just in case any of them that are trying this out for the first time um, just end up in pain or uncomfortable, it's an emergency panic button there so someone can come in and assist them. Um, but yes, it is to body temperature. Um, and you so are typically... Are you, totally in there, are you totally submerged? Oh, yeah. Are you totally... No, uh, you're not. It's literally... If you can imagine someone just lay on the surface, it is half of your body. And it keeps the other half out and very buoyant. So, whole thing. so my my question would be: I assume that the, the air air is filtrated as well. And do they keep the temperature in the air the same as as the water? Uh, the, there are some vents at the end of the tank that allow for any air in the room to just come in and out as well. And it's kind of like the slightest of cracks inside okay. the, the, the lid that shuts. But the room light is on a sensor. So after there's no movement in the room for a while, after you've taken the shower and shut the lid, they go off. And once you're ready when you're in the tank anyway, you shut the light off. So not only is the tank dark, the room is also dark as well. So there is air getting in and everything is pitch black. Okay, so the, the the water temperature and the air temperature are the same because you said that you couldn't feel heat or cold. I was assuming that we are uh, susceptible to feel if we can't. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, our, our skin is so sensitive to water, which is why for thousands of years we've had this affinity to water and a psychical and spiritual connection to it as well. But it's also been associated with a, a lot of healing when you look at places like the Roman baths. Um, but when you're in there, once you've laid still and you're your body has acclimatized the water which you know you do feel comfortable when you get in there um it does actually heat up a few inches away from your body so if you you do feel uncomfortable at some points or if you come out of an altered state and um, that is you start to get sleepy and you're drifting away while you're in there when your body kicks back in and realizes where you are you might move your arms about a bit or realize you want to put your hands behind your head so you do feel that the water a few inches away from wherever your body is is a slightly bit cooler than it is exactly on your skin so it's creating this kind of little heat field around you where the water is acclimatized to your own body temperature okay so that doesn't affect your your uh, um uh i can't even think of the word it, do, it doesn't in other words you don't really sense it enough to uh break your concentration Oh, absolutely not. I mean, if you compare this to the Gansfeld, there you have someone that goes in, in their clothes, probably with their shoes on um, as well. So, you know, you could have anything from small pumps to large boots. And all they're doing is reclining back in this leather chair with a blanket on them and sent through this relaxation technique of arch your back, hold it now for 10 seconds, 10, 9, and then does the same with your arms, your legs and so forth, just to try and make you feel as relaxed as possible. But ultimately, you're still laying in a reclining chair 
for an hour with various temperatures in there depending on what heating systems they've got for the room. This flotation tank is a perfect environment for making you feel nothing. Uh, a lot of the time when I'm in there, I, I forget my arms and legs because you just feel like floating consciousness because you're just drifting literally inside there steadily you will reach one side of the tank and then the other and you might have to slowly push yourself away and over time you drift again but you'll focus so much if you keep your eyes open on the strange imagery that is actually coming forward and as i say it's only when you you flinch or anything like that you start to realize your arms and legs again as you feel that ever so slight difference in temperature away from your body so it's great the fact that you are in there naked this is why so many people in completely different flotation tank studies from parapsychology have had perinatal experiences where they believe that they're being reborn okay i can see that but how is it i mean is there a, a big deviation between for instance uh, the tank you're in well your your eyes are covered right the same as in the, the gansfell right your eyes what so your eyes are blocked off so you you're not seeing anything correct um, not in the traditional sense. I mean, with the Gansfeld, you have these half ping pong balls, right, exactly. um, these eye shields that uh, sellotape your eyes. And and then the first and only pilot study that was done with Rogo, he tried this as well and put a red light inside the tank. Mm -hmm. And then he did the other half of trials as the tank should be. So no eye shields. You're just in there. And okay, there's so no light. No okay. You have no eye shields whatsoever. You're just staring at the ceiling. But because it's so dark in there, you can't actually see the ceiling. I think one of the misrepresentations of flotation tanks you see in any dramatization of this that you you know you might see in Fringe or Sea of Souls or any of the films is that you can see the lid and that you can see the water reflecting on the lid uh, and the ripples just gen gently kind of drifting over each other and that's what creates the hallucinations. It, it's not that at all. You cannot see the water reflecting on the lid. You can't even see the lid. It's that dark in there. It's meant to be pitch black throughout. So it's a, it's a, it's a combination between the psychobanthin chamber and the and the Zanfell and and that but you can't see anything where you are right you're absolutely looking at pitch black. Yeah, you're right with the psychomantium. There's another instance of some form of sensory deprivation leading, leading to hallucinations. But in this case, it's different to the Gansfeld, where the eye shields are on and blocking your vision. It's different to the psychomantium, where you're in poorly lit conditions, but staring at uh, reflective surfaces or mirrors. Right. In this case, you are deprived fully of the ability to see because it's just that dark. Okay. So, uh, I guess, uh, how, how, I mean, does it produce hallucinations? And... Uh, what type of hallucinations? Is, is it just random or, or is it uh, themed, I guess would be a lack of a better word. Yeah, I mean, when I first went in, I thought before we even begin these studies, I've got to take Rogo's advice, and that was um, don't let people do this or go straight into the study who haven't had any experience of this. The only person he got any good feedback from was someone who'd done the Gansfeld before and then tried the tank. The other people were so preoccupied with it that they said nothing throughout the whole um, study, which ruined it, and it's why it was a complete flop and also how few trials they did. Um, so I've had experience with the Gansfeld, and when I went into the tank, I thought, well, this would be interesting to see the contrast. And immediately, as soon as I shut the lid and turned off the light, I, I could see those kinds of visions you might have in when you're laying in bed at night and it is very dark in the bedroom and you're seeing kind of blue shapes or lights moving about and it looked very much like looking through a kaleidoscope um, but the best way to describe it was you know seeing um, clouds and smoke just of cigarette smoke so it was very blue and hazy and drifting in and out of each other and I found that the best visions throughout that first hour really came to me when I 
shut out my mind from any day-to-day -day thoughts and I focused on my peripheral vision. That's when if you focused away from what was in front of you, it developed better. Okay. You know, I, I'm just curious. I mean, Steve had a lot to say earlier in the show. Uh, has he ever uh, been in any of the sample experience of the yes. psycho man? Have you ever had a bath, Steve? Have you ever, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a better question, uh, Cal. Oh, there's the break. We'll, get, we'll guess find we'll, out after the uh, break. We'll find out after we'll. the break. Yep, listen to Ghost Chronicles International. We're in I'm in such suspense. <laughs> Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Strumming of Van Helsing brings us back to part two of Ghost Chronicles yeah, yeah, International yeah. with Ron Van Helsing, Dr. Kel Cooper, and me, the grumpy one. And I was posed a question before the break. Have I have I ever experienced exactly. the Gansfeld or the Psychomantium? Or That's been not what you were asked. Wasn't it? Have I ever had a bath? Yeah. That was, yeah, every, yeah, that was the other question. Then. Daily. And how does it make you feel? How, what, talk us Wet. through it. It's, it's, it's generally a wet experience involving soap. <laughs> Isn't that anyway. just a bucket on the back garden? Yeah, because we live out in country. <laughs> <laughs> Buy it, lad. <laughs> any, any road up. No, I mean, it, it's interesting you talk about the visions that you, that you have whilst in this um, flotation tank, because uh, several years ago uh, we were involved in a, a series of experiments, uh, 400... Three meaning hope. Me meaning parascience. Oh, okay. uh, involved in a series of experiments, we devised to test an idea um, that we were looking at uh, electromagnetic field 
effect upon individuals in in haunted locations and the the location we were using is uh the national coal mining museum up in mm. yorkshire where they all took, i remember they all talk like that and we'd invited along a number of parapsychologists to participate with us and <laughs> <laughs> we had overspread sandwiches lovely <laughs> But the reason we were there is because 450 feet of rock and uh, coal seam was uh, a good enough blanket against most of the electromagnetic spectrum. However, uh, 450 feet of rock is also a very good blanket against against light. And one of the, one of the effects that genuinely surprised us was um, we would predicted that in the complete absence of light that people would become more unnerved more more readily you know they they couldn't say anything in fact people were writing in their in their uh, or recording in their notes um which were which were audible notes to recorders because obviously they couldn't see to write um that they didn't even know whether their eyes were open or closed that they had no no um sense of whether they were seeing anything and yet they were reporting flashes of colour, the swirls um, the pinpricks of light the smoke effects that Cal describes what, uh, what, what we hadn't predicted and what was most interesting for us in, in a sort of uh, this sensory deprived world of the coal mine was that uh, there was one area in which there was one small safety light and we're dealing with something uh, not much bigger than a candle flame at about uh, 100 yards, 100 metres distant. Uh, that very small amount of light, um, insignificantly small amount of light, was sufficient to create um, that particular corridor had way, way, way more effects, in fact, um, of people becoming unnerved than the areas of complete and total darkness. And what what we what we deduced from that um, that that and it was only a one day experiment because we only had one day you know access to this place was was uh, highly limited is that you know an absence of light people generally found to be a soothing and calming experience you know mm. upon the brain and the body but if you introduce light as is happens with the psychomantium. Uh, and and I guess with you know, also with the Gansfeld because the light shields are imperfect and they 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 provide a uniform light field, or generally uniform light field, but the presence of light or the stimulation of light um, on the eyes, um, you're you're still allowing that sense to be active in, in in a way, but not giving it sufficient information. So the brain tends to try to make sense of the little bit of information it's getting. Um, <laughs> But what was, you know, what was also interesting to hear from Cal in the uh, flotation tank was the similarity of visual experiences that we we had reported in the coal mine in the absence of of all light in those in those other tunnels. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I build a psychomantium at Liverpool University. <laughs> If we go back to the coal mine, I, re I remember you um, talking about that ages ago. I remember seeing Anne, um, mm -hmm. pictures of Anne um, doing that as well. Well, she didn't um, know she was in France at the time. We were conducting we, a side it, experiment. Send, uh, was it a sender-receiver thing? 
Well, yeah, because Anne, Anne wasn't able to be there. So what had happened was she'd had to go off to, uh, I believe, the south of France on the cheese-eating weekend. Um, and we, we set aside one hour, allowing for the time difference in the clocks, uh, where she would send a series of images uh, to to those who were underground and that we would uh, at the same time instead of doing what we were doing which was measuring electromagnetic fields and recording people's um, yeah yeah sort of images to see if they right. could be transmitted over distance mm-hmm. through rock we, we did it we did a similar experience uh, Maureen went into uh, Boston for a uh, sleep study uh, thing and uh, I was at the Hooten Mansion and we set up a, a time and everything where I transmitted and very similar experiment to that because I wasn't in, in a coal mine but again science does everything bigger and better than us <laughs> going, going back to what you Deeper said about in this the, case. <laughs> the, the calming effect that, that really is important because the amount of people that were shown around the psychology department at Northampton and, and were shown in the, the Gansfeld, their initial reaction when they look at one of the rooms that is um, it's a full-on um, container within the building, so it's got electromagnetically shielded walls, it's got a soundproof door, the walls are black, the ceiling's black, the floor's black, it's got a black reclining chair in there, all the cupboards are black. Um, when it's just got the red light in there, to actually step through the door and then peer through the second door, a lot of people say, oh, I wouldn't like to go in there or spend any long period in there. And yet, um, I think I'd... Um, is Wim Kramer, who's involved in Parapsychological Archives. Mm-hmm. He came around with his assistant the other day, and, and they went in. They, um, I think most of the assistant had never been in one before, and she had that intimidating feeling about it. But as soon as we all went in and you shut the door, you realise how quickly it's so calming because of the low lighting levels or, or turning the lights completely off and just leaving red, which mm-hmm. the colours were tested in the first place when they started to bring this into parapsychology in 1975. They nearly used blue light, which is used in the flotation tanks, but they decided not to because even though blue lighting was calming, it made people feel cold, so they opted for the red. Uh, now, red certainly wouldn't work with the tanks because then it gives the suggestion you're going into red water, but to actually match the colour that we're familiar with with water, of blue, is actually quite calming inside a, an environment where we know the water's not that deep either. Um, but again, well, people, people have felt the same thing with the tanks. They've felt anxiety, and just to see the tanks, they say, mm-hmm. as pretty as it looks, I wouldn't like to spend a long period of time in there. Because Interestingly, of race colour. Um, yeah. Because I was going to ask, have variations on the flotation tank been attempted where you vary the colour of the light? For example, as you say, blue is a, a traditional cold colour. Red is a colour that we associate with warmth. But it's also a colour that we associate with blood. Now, if we're talking about what you said before, there is almost within some people this idea of a second birth or a, a repetition of the birth, you know, a, a sensation of being reborn or being in the womb in vitro. If you if you switch to red light, would you possibly enhance that effect? Because to the fetus, the light would appear to be only in the red spectrum. If there was light, if there was light, there is light, there is initially. That I was going to bring that in. Very good point. And if we were looking at studies away from parapsychology, that would be something to consider in terms of what colour is the safety light that you initially see when you go in and switch off and then automatically comes back on to signal the end of your trial. So you have no involvement with that light colour except for to step in and let you see where you're going and then switch off the light and then let you know that you've finished. So I 
I wouldn't know personally whether over time with the commercialized tanks, whether they've actually tested the, the color difference there. They might have actually opted for blue looking at the original sensory deprivation literature and varying the different light colors. Um, but certainly for Gansfeld, we opted for the red just because the rooms that they're in, it just gave that warm feeling and it made them feel very comforted or like you were lay on a beach with your eyes shut but in direct line to the sun. So when you shut your eyes, you have that pink haze, but underneath the ping pong balls, looking through them, you also have that pink haze as well. But you've raised a good point, Steve. It would be interesting to know if in certain tank centers they used a different initial color before and after during that time of darkness, mm -hmm. has it led to any suggestion that leads to some of these perinatal experiences? I don't experiment, sir. I, I don't know, but yes, there's there's open. It's open for. There you a go. You've got another time. year of the tank now. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that because I don't want to keep a doing it over and over grant. again. Yeah, but banging a research grant with the SPR and get sorted for another year. No, no, I'm happy with this one. You, you do it. You look at it. Yeah, Steve's not doing anything. Why don't you do it? I, I, I Just have to remove all the bulbs in your bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have trouble feeling my legs at the best of times. <laughs> <laughs> You get to be naked. Yeah, there you go. I am naked all of the time. I know, you did a stupid radio God, show. In. God bless you. No, that was the Lion Onesie. Oh. <laughs> oh behave. So, uh, how long is this experiment going to go on, Cal? Started in late 2016. We will have finished data collection by early December, at which point um, all the data, I haven't disclosed anything to anyone. I gave a, a talk related kind of to this at the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle Centre last week in Edinburgh, and they asked, could you tell us what kind of experiences you've had and what you saw? And I, I said, unfortunately not. I'm not going to tell you anything. Ah, that's why you're ignoring my question. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got them behind me all in sealed envelopes. I'm the only one that knows. All I ever did when we went in was the, the person sending me the images knew when I started and knew when I stopped. But at the same time, as much as they were kind of itching to kind of make a comparison there and then because that trial was over, we insisted that we just leave it there. We just don't want to know. I don't want to know what they've been viewing and I don't want them to know what um, I've actually been seeing while I've had that time in the tank. So everything I've seen is sealed in an envelope. They've seen a pool of four potential video clips and the computer has selected one of them for, uh, to view. They write on the envelope they have which pool the clip is in, so that sends the uh, independent judge which pool to go and watch. Um, and uh, within that, they watch all four clips and they make a comparison to my feedback. Which one does it rate to the best? You know, rank ordering them, which one would you say is the target? And they have to score all elements of my experiences in binary. So was it in color or in black and white? Was there water in the visions or weren't there? Were there people present or weren't they? So you have all these different binary elements to mark down. And from there, they decide which one gets the highest rank order, the lowest. Uh, and they've got to do that for all 12 trials. And it, it's quite a few trials for a pilot study, but our main concern, like Rogo, is because we want to run this to a bigger study next year, um, is we want to use different participants. And it's just been me against the, the sender in this study. Um, so we could avoid ethics because it was actually a study to look at ethics and the methodological problems of which we've noted three or four already that we need to make sure are a lot tighter when we run through the full study. Even though we've noted them as we've gone along, uh, we've carried on as we were from the beginning without altering it as we went through, just so we can see if we make these improvements, how much better is it? So if we get anything, a significant result, that's a bonus on top of it. Um, but we'll also be learning from what Scott Rogo did if it's just a complete waste of time to use these tanks. 
No, it is worth trying it because so many people assumed it had been done. And that's tosh. It's not. I, I spent a long amount of time going through all the literature. And I couldn't find anything besides a conference dinner speech and a single pilot study that was published in an obscure journal that found nothing. So no one's really taken it seriously and followed it through. And yet there's some great studies in other areas of psychology and social science and health where they've looked at the tanks, as I said, for anxiety, depression, all kinds of physical ailments, helping people with sports performance, health and beauty, creativity. So it's had loads of applications elsewhere, and yet everyone's ignored the images. All they've looked at in one study was altered states and mystical experiences people had inside the tanks. And they were just comparing highly sensitive persons against non-highly sensitive persons. So it didn't really get very far, except to say that, yes, people that appear to be highly sensitive have more visions inside the tank. I want to know, what do those visions relate to? If anything, has, are they inter internally generated? Has Dr. Young done something on this line? Oh, possibly, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we can't all aspire to be as great as other people, so... <laughs> Sometimes you just have to let it go, Steve, you just have to let it go. I, I, I noticed <laughs> that you were up in, up in Edinburgh the other day. Uh, That's where I was. So, I, I was because you were talking about uh, the effects of re the relationship between water and anomalous experiences, paranormal experiences. Uh, how are we going to label them? Did you include any mention of the water tape? Um, no. Uh, well, when it came to question and answer, <laughs> someone, someone mentioned something that had something to do with it. So I brought it up. You did get a mention in that. And um, it, it was something not related to my talk whatsoever, but someone asked a question that kind of hinged on it. Good. Go on, yeah. why? See that? You just I'm just, cu just curious, you know, water in the paranormal. Because, uh, you know, as far as I was aware that we were, you know, amongst you know, something some that we suggested several years ago. Well, uh, Okay, for those, uh, for, those years ago. for those listening who aren't familiar with it, what would you oh, are, say again? Oh, oh they, they are, are trust me, yeah. Oh, we won't go down can, that route then. We don't need to go down that route. And just remind you that you're the guest and I'm the I'm the um, I'm the uh, the host, so I ask the question. I know my place. Yeah, if you'd have been the host more often, I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have actually. Uh, so let me ask you a little. <laughs> Odd question, but uh, that's what I do. You know, so many, you know, people like shamans and Timothy Leary and everything believe that, uh, you know, taking drugs and doing other things brings you to a closer spiritual experience. Is there any evidence at all that that is true or is it just something within our own minds? Wow. Is that for me? I don't care who takes it. <laughs> oh, that was that was a deep question. I'm thinking ketamine here. <laughs> are, are we or talking specific, specifically in relation to water? No, not necessarily water. But and you know, I, I, you talked about the experiences and so forth, and and you get so many, you know, like shamans and uh, mystics, and and uh, you know, you lick a frog or whatever, yeah. uh, and and they they believe it's a spiritual experience. And I want to know if if there is any relationship between, or any evidence, I guess, that it is a, a uh, spiritual experience, or is it just something that we created in our own minds? Well, absolutely. I mean, for this yeah, if you t turn to David Luke, uh, you know, he's looked at many instances and met many shamans that uh, are typically on psychedelic reactants, but that even goes back to ancient Egyptian times when magicians and priests 
that had a large say in looking after the dead and the construction of tombs, they were one of, uh, sorry, they were two of only three people, the other people being warriors, that were allowed to um, consume Egyptian blue water lily. And an opium, besides um, its use for, you know, curing pain. And um, with that, you are going to have different experiences, especially with the Egyptian blue water lily. But if you bring that forward into modern day, um, shamans in different cultures are, are taking things such as ayahuasca. So the tree root that you can grind down, you construct it into a tea that you drink. And with that, you may be on a trip for about two to three days before it finally leaves your system. But it contributes heavily towards the experiences they're having. But when we've adopted this through into the laboratory, um, they've been used in precognition tasks. And so, again, if you, David Luke is the kind of person you'd want on to ask about these things in detail. But there's been some fantastic results in terms of precognition success on, with people that are on ayahuasca. Another thing you could turn to as well would be psilocybin with uh, looking at the magic mushrooms. Uh, but they've also been used in studies of uh, decreasing, again, depression and anxiety. Um, I'm re uh, researching a book, reviewing it rather, for the Australian Journal of Parapsychology at the moment called Songs, Dreaming and Ghosts, uh, the wan Wanga of North Australia, and it's looking at the Aborigines and the shamans within their culture that are trying through dreams and so forth to promote ghosts and ceremonies and psychic experiences. So again, that has clashes with psychedelics. But brilliant plug here, it also has overlaps with acoustics, where a lot of their traditions are involving shamanic drumming, repetitive sounds, and how sometimes when we get into that rhythm, we enter an altered state and it can promote people having anomalous experiences. So with that, I'd recommend people read Paris Acoustics and Jack Hunter's chapter on shamanic drumming. Steve? Ta-da! Well, <laughs> well I, I'm, I'm mindful. I, 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 I suggested that, you know, David Luke, probably the most bombed-out parapsychologist I've ever met, is, is, the perfect, is the perfect person to discuss this topic. I mean, there have been... Yes. You know, if we take it into the ghost-hunting world, there have actually been attempts, bizarrely, to see if... Uh, it was, a surprise. It, yeah, to see if, uh, particularly alcohol, uh, affected the way that people reported uh, paranormal experiences in haunted environments. And one of these notably was carried out in the haunted tunnels of Dover Castle by, the, by ASAP, the Association for the Scientific Study of Anomalous Phenomena, who all decided that it would be a real hoot to, uh, to visit the location and get bombed out the skulls, um, drunk beyond belief to see if that would have any effect on their experiences and the only thing they noticed at the end of the night was an anomalous uh, there was uh, some weird music and sounds being heard from the end of uh, one of the medieval tunnels so a group of the more sober of the of the team <laughs> went off on a search for these sounds and after a, a long walk down the corridors these medi dark dank medieval tunnels underneath dover castle they eventually sound found the source of the of the noise which was a very drunk student um sitting propped up against the wall in the corner with his headphones on singing along very badly to his walkman mm -hmm. um apart from that they reported no other uh 
changes in the you know whether they saw ghosts or or, or, or had any other experiences. Um, but coming back to coming on to the to well, the music, just, I just do want to mention that even Harry Price included a flask in his uh, ghost hunting kit. Yeah, that would that wasn't that wasn't for getting drunk to see oh, ghosts. Sure. Okay. Uh, Price's br- so. fl- 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 uh, flask so. of brandy was primarily uh, medi- It was purely for medicinal. Sorry, yeah, sorry, steady your nerves. Yeah, it was to steady your nerves. Uh, you know, I mean, after the hunt all night uh, for small boys, rats, and the villagers, I, I'm guessing a, a top from a flask of brandy, and God forbid you got the flask of mercury by mistake, <laughs> which you also included. Uh, but he <laughs> was trying to that, measure structural vibrations with brandy. Yeah. He was, um, in, a, in a very bizarre way. But, you know... Science, and we, we come back to the earlier part of the conversation, uh, you know, we are striving to find answers and we are striving to, to find a way forwards. And my, my, you know, my frustration with parapsychology has always been that they are so bloody cautious compared to many of the other branches of science. They're overly cautious. Um, you know, they, they sit, there seems to be a reluctance within parapsychology to accept the results Mm. You, um, you know, and I find that you know incredibly frustrating because many of the results that have been produced down the years, I mean, and we're going back to you know Rhine and earlier um, through through the Kursler and and many other you know sort of great parapsychological uh, departments have produced very very challenging results, results that mainstream science should sit up and take notice of. Yet instead of actively thrusting that in the face of science and using it as a stepping stone forwards, parapsychology seems to be reluctant to move, you know, in a, in a positive way and yeah. make the contribution. Uh, you know, we see it at the conference, don't we, Cal? Year in, year out, endless line of potential PhD students who get no further than, this year I'm designing a questionnaire. Mm-hmm. Um, and we never hear the results. You know, we, we, we keep saying, I'm going to do a questionnaire on belief. I'm going to do a questionnaire on personality and belief and whether, you know, different personalities have an effect on people's paranormal uh, experiences. Well, well, those been... ones, as you know, they're sidelined and they're not actually tackling anomalous experiences. It's just dealing with beliefs yeah. and, and stuff on the, the periphery of the matter that we're trying to get. This is, this, is the, this is the way parapsychology is portraying itself and allowing mm. itself to be portrayed. And you know, I think the... part of that is, is the struggle, though, against public acceptance as well and also trying to keep some of those people we see at conferences in it for the long run so we have a, a greater workforce to actually help tackle these different problems. I mean, I'm probably one of ten people, and there's probably a few more, but paid full-time to, to go to the university and teach this. But at the same time, I have other commitments as well. So as much as I'd like to be working on all the projects I've talked about in parapsychology, I'm not actually working them as much as people perceive I am because I'm dealing with other lectures, other topics, other research projects. And so it really slows us down with the fact that no one's paid yeah. to full-time really work in this. Mm-hmm. And so against the other sciences, we're making very slow progression 
because of it. Um, but then the other thing is, you know, we've done all these repetitive studies as well to try and please the sciences that something's going on. The other thing that we're trying to tackle is, is um, you know, and, and this is why it's great that you guys have this and, you know, you've done public events. Steve, you've done public events here trying to do workshops to try and re-educate people. But yeah, we are up a dead horse. No, but seriously, seriously, you know, it's the best thing we can do to try and tackle the kind of crap that we get on the Internet as well. Because, you know, it's only in the last couple of weeks that I've finally made it, Mum. I'm on Wikipedia and I've got a profile on there, but, you know, there's no way I can now take that down because it's utter tosh. I'm listed on there as a pseudoscience supporter, and I can't get that changed. No, seriously, because it, it's their perception, but that I find really insulting. My main research is dealing with the bereaved and their aftercare. I don't find bereavement pseudoscientific. I don't find death pseudoscientific. I find that insulting, and these people haven't asked, but... But this is the portrayal that goes out, and there's no right, way you I'll can change, change it. I'll change it later. I'll change it later. Oh, you sorry about that. <laughs> but this is the thing that we're tackling, though, the fact that most of the information that gets out there... Anyway, is that was the best. And that, before so, it's even explained. So, so you can yeah. stop whinging, stop whinging right. and tell us, how can people find out more about your work, the work of Northampton's parapsychology department, and about what you're doing in the flotation tanks? If you want to know what I'm doing in the flotation tanks, just keep following me on... Uh, um, on Twitter at Callum E. Cooper. If you want to send me any direct questions involving the research or anything that I mentioned, you can just email me directly at callum.cooper at northampton.ac.uk. Does that include if they've had a weird experience in the bath? Yeah, weird experience in the bath, unusual telephone experiences. I've literally just finished editing a paper before I came on the show to send back to the Journal of the Society for Psycho Research on further stuff involving telephone calls. Um, so anything, really. Yeah. Cool. And your website? I don't have one. Yes, you don't. Nope, I don't. Well, give us the University of Northampton's website, then. Um, that is northampton.ac.uk. There you go. Ron, what are you up to in the next coming weeks? Well, you know, I... Apart I from designing wanna, your I own flotation tank. I just want to end up the show is, is that, you know, if you do think outside the box, then sometimes you're you looked upon, down upon by the, the uh, educational community. I mean, mm. just, just recently... Uh, uh, not too recently, but uh, Jack Hunter uh, wrote a... Uh, yes. And he was totally, just not because of what he wrote, but just because of his reputation. Yeah, they, they didn't find it acceptable in the least, and it was for a, a very kind of a mainstream book. He contributed a chapter, and one member on the board who disagreed to it managed to get their say wiggled into the whole thing. They'd gone back, researched his biography, and were disgusted with the fact that in some of his articles, he'd actually considered the, the actual ontology, the actual truth behind some paranormal claims, and they were disgusted. Yeah. And so, with that, I'm being told that we have seven seconds. Well, I guess we should go. Cal, it's always a pleasure. And uh, all right, one quick question for you, Cal. Is, is, is your skin getting all wrinkly? Is my skin? No, I don't. I don't spend too long in there. You know, it is a warning sign, just like the doorbell and the pizza coming. If your skin's getting wriggly, is it wriggly <laughs> or wrinkly? It's time to get out, guys. Yeah, I know, wriggly skin. Ugh. All right, thanks a lot. <laughs> Till next time. Okay, take care, guys. Yeah. Right, How's the hottie? It says here. Thank you very much. Hottie with a double zero. What's that mean? No idea. I don't know. Is it real or real? Could be. Cal is a hottie, real to real. Yeah, that's it. That's, I got it now. Okay. All right. Tune in, tune in next time. Ghost Chronicles International every Tuesday at 3 p.m., 8 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, wherever the hell that is. See you later. Bye. In Greenwich, of course. Yeah, whatever. From goalies to ghosties. 
long-leggedy beasties and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.